Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome into another edition of the JMU Sports News Podcast. I am Bennett Conlin, joined by Jack Fitzpatrick. And Jack, it's a game week. It's a game week. It's a two-deep day. It's everything we have been hoping for for the last five months, six months. Been a long wait. It's been a long wait to get to this point for sure. A lot's happened. Let's recap. Sunbelt move. Sunbelt move. Men's basketball beat UVA. Yeah, I was writing about that in the Jamie Sports newsletter. <laughs> they uh, both men's and women's teams beat UVA. Both them wins coming at home, which obviously is is not something Jamie gets the opportunity to do every year hosting UVA. So a special year in sports and arguably a more special year for us, Jack. A lot's happened for us too. And you tease the newsletter. You want to break down some some of the news, the housekeeping things we want to talk about here before we head into our two deep breakdown and our awesome interview that we have with uh, Sam from Middle Tennessee. Yes. So the newsletter, it's a free newsletter. You can go to jamiesportsnews.com, click the newsletter tab, and there's a little link there to subscribe. Uh, it just goes through MailChimp. I think we added like 10 or 12 subscribers last night, which is cool. Uh, open rate today when I checked an hour ago, been up for two or three hours is already over 50%. Woo, so baby. obviously it's a, a huge deal in the JMU sports community. <laughs> no, but it's basically a free newsletter once I'm going to do it every Wednesday. I had done it Mondays previously and that kind of sucked for um, personal reasons on Sunday nights, trying to like gather everything together a little easier on a Tuesday night. So Wednesday mornings, probably going to be six to 7am. It'll hit your inbox. It's going to mostly be football in the fall. It's just once a week. They'll have sort of a quick recap of the game before. Um, we're going to plug stories from other outlets, which I think is a fun part of it. So the DNR does anything cool, ESPN, whatever. Uh, we'll have it there. It's just an easy way, essentially, to catch up on what's going on in the JMU sports world with a focus on football. But I'll also have the records and some other good stuff related to the Olympic sports team. So easy way to sort of stay informed. It's free. Not all of our content is free. That's a little tease. We have a Patreon now where you can subscribe there. We have exclusive written and video content that'll go up there. I know we have a couple subscribers now, 10 bucks a month. Not everyone's going to want to do it, which totally makes sense, right? Not everyone's going to shell out 10 bucks for this, but it's going to be a decent amount of content, uh, pretty high level analysis, I would think. And for us, it helps us cover some expenses, maybe gives us the budget in the future to add a freelancer to the team. So we aren't going crazy doing so much stuff who knows but it's basically a way for us to grow this a little bit because we're not going to churn out you know five to ten pieces of content a week for free on top of full-time jobs it's kind of impossible and even getting a freelancer to maybe cover the team in harrisonburg yeah. do stuff like that um while we would love to get up there as much as we possibly can full-time jobs sometimes leave us strapped in our current cities um, we normally can get up to one football game, maybe a year. Um, right. so by having Patreon, we're able to, you know, do freelancer, upgrade all of our equipment, get better sounding mics. So Bennett's not talking into his AirPods, um, and potentially exactly. even travel more where we can cover some costs of travel. So it's not, you know, a thousand dollars to go out to a bowl game or something like that for each of us. Maybe we can cut that down and, and get out to bowl games and cover it as, more media types than rather than fanboys. 
even if it's like gas, man, you know, yeah. like if we're covering a game and we want to have like a, a story later in the week that even if we're not like in the press box, but covering of like what it's like to watch JMU homecoming game against Marshall or whatever, and you can cover gas from that. It's certainly helps and makes it more doable and maybe uh, more willing to make the trip. So yep, we appreciate the support for anyone who does it. Um, we're still going to have a ton of free content. I think we, we realized that if we put everything behind a paywall, it'd be a little stupid. So we have the newsletters free. This podcast is free. Uh, we're going to have weekly game previews that are free. There's going to be other content on the website that's free. So I would say it's the same, if not more free content that we're still going to offer probably more honestly than, than maybe last year, but then we're going to add a few additional things for, for paying subscribers. Yeah. We're, we're upping our content game this season as JMU moves to the Sun Belt. They're upping their play on the field. We're doing the same, but behind our keyboard. Um, also, we are going to do a couple more things with our Patreon. Uh, monthly Zooms where all the subscribers, all of our patrons, I think that's what they're called. Yeah. Patreon. All of our patrons will jump on a Zoom once a month, chat out, you know, JMU football, similar to that of a Twitter space, but um, it'll be everyone who subscribes to our Jamie Sports News Patreon. And I think that will be a lot of fun um, as well. And I had another thing that we were doing. Oh, I lost it again. We'll have shout outs on the podcast. If you subscribe, that's something. I think the main thing is definitely that Zoom, which will come once a month where you talk to us and other subscribers about Jamie Sports. And then we've got the exclusive video and written content. I believe that's it. Yeah, there was another point I was going to make that wasn't a Patreon, a free thing we were going to do, but I completely lost. Oh, nope, I lost it again. He's losing it, folks. I'm really losing it. My brain. We got our little uh, little content thing. It might be on the spreadsheet. Oh, we're doing live stream, podcast live streams. Yeah. Um, so also coming up, this is a lot of housekeeping stuff we, we had before, the, uh, before this podcast, but Moving forward after this podcast, we're going to try and carve out a time on Wednesday, late afternoon, evenings type of time period. Um, but keep keep it locked to our Twitter at Jamie Sports News for all of the updates that will happen with it. But we'll be using StreamYard, and that's also something that the Patreon subscribers and our Three Notch sponsorship are helping you know pay the cost of. We're doing StreamYard, so we'll yeah. be recording our podcasts as normal, but we'll be doing it live streaming so we can incorporate you know some live viewer questions we can incorporate more graphic stuff and we'll have a video presence to go along with the jamie sports news podcast so get ready for that it'll be a fun little wednesday night uh stream put us on your you know watch calendar stuff like that um so that's coming down the pike starting hopefully next week uh we'll be able to get that up and running as well yeah, excited for that. I think we got a lot of good stuff coming and we should definitely give a little, at least a three-notch plug. I'm sure we have another ad rate at some point, but <laughs> three-notch visit the Harrisonburg Tap Room there. We're working with them this fall. Really excited to be doing that. Love their beer. I think next time I'll make sure I grab myself some uh, some three-notch before our live podcast and be able to crack a can open and enjoy one of those bad boys. Great. Can you send one down to me down here? Yeah, I'm going to mail you one can of three-notch beer, sir. That, that's all I ask. That's all I ask. Um, we do have one more ad read. It's some big time stuff. Apologies for the delay in getting this open. But bet online is the fastest. There you go. Is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports, contests, and events 
with first to market odds and lines, find reviews and news for every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and Bennett. Even golf. golf. Although it's like the season is pretty much over. And I guess do they offer live events? <laughs> yeah, they offer live. Well, there you go. Well, even live. Bet online continues to be the top online resource for all of your sports information from live in-game betting props and futures head to bet online today or use your mobile device to join and make your first sports bet use promo code believe that's promo code b l e a v 50 believe 50 to receive your 50 percent welcome bonus on your first deposit bet online where the game starts and where this podcast is now starting is james madison football week one bennett the FBS era, the Sunbelt era, um, the future of JMU football is here. Yeah, Middle Tennessee, opening week. It's a winnable game to sort of ease yourself into the FBS era. Six o'clock Saturday, 6 p.m. Eastern time. Games on ESPN+. Plus. Haven't checked Harrisonburg yet, but the weather where I am and the weather in Richmond where I'll be this weekend supposed to be stellar i think humidity levels are dropping now you'll be in richmond this weekend i'll be in richmond this weekend so will i no way <laughs> you want to meet up oh my god <laughs> how exciting but anyway it's gonna uh it's gonna be a great weekend of weather i think it's gonna be a perfect day student tickets are sold out i think you can if you're not going and you have one you can return it so if you're a student looking for one maybe do that but it should be pretty close to a sellout in the stadium I'm expecting a great atmosphere I don't know how great the actual like on-field game will be between these two teams, but I'm excited for this for sure. Uh, JMU opened as a seven and a half point favorite. If we want to get into a little bit of the betting side of yeah. this game, um, just so you could kind of wrap your mind around what the expectations are for this game. They opened as a seven and a half point favorite. They got as low as a five and a half point favorite. It's back up to six points. So JMU is currently favored by six points to win this game against middle Tennessee which is a little surprising considering Middle Tennessee isn't an FCS team. It is a Conference USA team that has been playing at the FBS level for a while. I guess home field advantage means that much uh, in week one. Are you surprised at all that this line is where it's at? No, I think it's more that Middle Tennessee kind of sucks to be to be really? honest with you. Yeah, I don't think like I can't imagine Jamie's home field is more than like two points in a lot of these May like I know that people always talk like oh it's worth three points I don't know that it's worth like three points at this level maybe it is but it's like maybe it would be worth a field goal I just I don't think Middle Tennessee is that good and I think some of that is because you can make a decent case that Conference USA is the worst group of five league yeah so I, I don't think they've necessarily done anything overly impressive they're not a bad team they made a bowl game last year I mean like they're they're fine. Yeah, but I just don't think they're great on either side of the ball. I think they're a, a pretty normal, somewhat average football team. So I'm not overly concerned about the matchup. I think it's one that JMU could lose, but I, I don't think Middle Tennessee is is really that good. And I also think JMU is really good. Like they played at the FCS level, but they've been one of the top few programs for years. I think they're a great football program at that level. And I think they're going to be a good group of five team pretty quickly. So I'm not too surprised by it. What about you though? Um, I just want to say off the top, I think it's hilarious because if this was an FCS FBS game, 
Like if JMU was pushing off their Sunbelt move to next year, I think JMU would still be favored. And it's not often you see an FCS team favored over an FBS team by like a touchdown. With that being said, um, I'm shocked that it is this high. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if JMU was like a three-point favorite. But the fact it's at six against a Conference Conference USA team that is seven and six, they do have a little bit more depth. I know because of COVID and because of um, transfers, everything like that, that the scholarship gap isn't as vast as it normally is when a team makes the FCS to FBS jump, but there still is a little bit of a gap. Um, They've also are returning a really solid quarterback in Chase Cunningham, Middle Tennessee is. Um, They return a solid running back and Frank Peasant. Uh, He was a freshman last year, but he was second on the team in yards. The one thing that I think will be a key part of this game is the battle in the trenches. Um, But we can, we can break that down more with Sam when he jumps on considering middle Tennessee has a completely new offensive line. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. Cause I think um, whoever their, their backup quarterback is Mike. Delilo. It's the uh, Vic. I mean, Nick, whatever Vatiato or something. Oh yeah. They're they're. I was doing a deep dive on middle Tennessee stats. Their quarterback situation outside of chase Cunningham is really weird. Tell me what that means. Because Chase Cunningham played in eight games last season. He got injured, but he didn't start the season as their undisputed number one quarterback. So he didn't really get first team reps or like, I think 20 plus attempts until like week three, but he ended up leading the team in yards, but he only played in, I want to say like five games full time. And then they had this quarterback named Mike DeLillo, D-I-L-I-E-L-L-O, Mm-hmm. who's 6'1", 208, and led the team in rushing touchdowns. So mm-hmm. it seemed like they kind of ran that type of system where you get close to the goal line, you bring him in, and he'll just kind of pound it home. Uh, but then you said Vic, whatever his name is. Nick, sorry, Nick Batiato. Yeah. Nick Batiato. They really like their Italian quarterbacks down there in Middle Tennessee. He's now the number two, and I don't know if Mike is still on the roster. He was last time I checked. But, like, it seems like they don't really have a – clear path outside of chase cunningham but i mean i guess if you have one solid guy you don't need a clear path as your backup they probably got a more clear path than jmu in terms of quarterback depth so they've they've got that going i don't know about that i think so vadiato play through for like 270 and two touchdowns no picks in the bowl game you mean you mean yeah yeah, okay i see what you mean i'm sorry i'm in middle tennessee has a better like more experienced quarterback room yeah yeah okay yeah yeah. i thought you meant like I, I thought you meant they they have a clearer picture. And I was like, I don't know. I'm pretty sure it's Todd, Billy, Alonza. Like, I think that's pretty clear. But I see what you mean. They're they're more experienced. They have more reps underneath their belt. Yeah, I think, like, quarterback play is going to be huge in this one. Because you've got – you mentioned Cunningham. He threw 16 touchdowns and only three interceptions last year. Um, wasn't putting up, like, absurd yardage totals. But he's somebody who was – kind of efficient, which is, I think, what they want out of Santeo at JMU. Yeah. So I think the team that – this is kind of every football game. The team that can, like, limit turnovers <laughs> and limit mistakes, especially in week one, yeah, is going to be the one that has probably the the best game and wins the game. I think my concern for JMU, and you probably share this concern, I feel like they can get beat in the secondary a little bit. I like, feel like they're going to get torched in the secondary. I think that I'm worried about this game a little. I think they're going to get torched later in the season. I have some concerns, though, of like giving up some long pass plays in this game. It's worth noting 
that in their wide receiver room, they only they lost their top two receivers from last year. Their top returning is Yusuf Ali, who was third on the team in receptions, not a lot of with only 472 yards, third on the team in touchdowns with four receiving touchdowns last year. So they have a kind of an inexperienced wide receiver core. But if the quarterback is putting it on target, I don't think that matters who he's throwing to. They got some old guys at receiver. I think yeah, but not um, a lot of not a lot of not a lot of production out of those old guys. Well, they had, I think they brought in, they didn't bring, I guess they brought him in a year ago, but like they got some size there with Isaiah Gavings. He's someone I think could be decent. He had 24 catches for 300 yards and a touchdown last year. I just feel like with more opportunity, some of those guys are going to start to, to make some better plays. So it's, it's not like the best group of wide receivers are playing this year, but they're okay. Yeah. All right. Like I feel like it's kind of similar to JMU where it's like, like Reggie Brown's stats aren't great. Devin Ravenel's stats aren't great, but I feel like those two guys, I'm not like concerned about how they'll, they'll play. I think it's a fairly even matchup, which is like kind of irritating as a JMU fan. Cause you like think of the middle of Tennessee and you're like, ah, oh, they're nobody, but it's like, ah, oh, they could, they could probably beat JMU in bridge fourth with a sellout crowd. I don't think that's outlandish because they do have enough like returning pieces. Um, yeah. Interested to hear more about the offensive line because I don't know. It, it'll be really interesting because I think JMU might have the edge in the trenches. And I think that's where this game is won and lost. I know that's, it's also cliche and that's cliche number two of the podcast. Uh, but the, the, the defensive line is all returners for middle Tennessee, but it's also all returners and they return, I think 51 starts or 53 starts. Um, on this offensive line for JMU with an average weight of 311. Like this isn't an FCS offensive line. This is an FBS offensive line for JMU. And going up against a D line that wasn't necessarily extremely productive last year, they do return everyone. So you have to imagine there is some sort of growth there, but that'll be interesting to watch. Uh, but it's also tough because Middle Tennessee lost a lot of, lot of great players in their secondary and linebackers. They lost three of their top four uh, players due to transfer or graduation after last year, I think Reed Blankenship. And I want to say his name was like Garrett something. He transferred away, um, but we'll see. Jordan Ferguson's a dog for them in the defensive line. So I'm interested to see what happens there. What did he have? He had 16 and a half tackles for loss and nine yeah. sacks last year. Three, three forced, forced fumbles. fumbles. <laughs> yeah. So he's, he's good. I'm interested for that. Should we hop quickly and do like a, a quick little, jmu 2d breakdown yeah 100 um because we'll we'll go down we'll go into more middle tennessee stuff here with uh yeah. sam when he jumps on in a few minutes we're gonna start offense or defense or specials? we gotta start we gotta start i mean we could just hit special teams nothing really crazy there okay sam clark you got your australian transfer at punter perfect no surprise camden wise is your place kicker i think that's a sneaky interesting thing to watch just because ethan ratke was such a given I imagine they're going to miss more field goals this year, which is obviously no offense to Camden Wise, but Ethan Ratke was one of the best kickers in, in FCS history. So uh, you got Kyle Davis, long snapper, no surprise there. Connor Madden's going to handle kickoffs. No Sam there. Clark is also the holder. Chris Thornton, currently the kick returner. Kind of interesting. They only listed one in these, these spots. <laughs> I think Solomon Van Horst is supposed to be around in that, but sounded like from the beat reporters, he's a little banged up. And then Josh Surratt, who is Surratt. Start, Surratt, 
Thank you. Pronunciation guide has come out, folks. Yep, we Josh are. Josh Surratt is the <laughs> punt returner. He's also the starting free safety, which I thought was interesting, but we'll get to that uh, in a bit. Yeah, offensively, um, we technically don't know the quarterback, but we all know it's Todd Santeo. There is an or labeled next to that, but uh, disregard the or entirely. Uh, Tyshawn Watt gets the start at left tackle. Interesting there because he started all 14 games last year at left guard. He's 333 pounds. He's a big boy. Um, but so he moves from left guard to left tackle. Yeah. So that'll be interesting. Tyler Stevens moves from left tackle to left guard. So a little bit of a shakeup on the left side of the line. Tanner Morris comes back at center. Cole Potts and Nick Kidwell, right guard, right tackle, respectively. That's where they played last year. Those are returners. Um, so that's so that's some big-time stuff. 51 starts between this line from last season returns. Pretty good offensive line. I feel fairly confident. little interested, confused um, at Andrew Adair not being on the two deep Liberty transfer that I feel like people kept floating as like a legitimate starting option <laughs> at center. Um, so for him not to be in the two deep and to have a freshman Carter Miller ahead of him, I thought was interesting, if nothing else. Yeah, 100%. It's also another interesting not person on the two deep is that running back. No Kalon Black. Um, normally, the way Kurt Signetti did these two deeps is you'd have your starter and then it would be Latrell or Kalon Black or Solomon Van Horse, and he'd list the entire running back room essentially on the two deep. This year, it's just Percy Ajay Obase and Latrell mm -hmm. Palmer listed. Yeah, interested with that. I also here, I want to ask you, do you think there's like, he keeps talking about he would only release the starting quarterback if it would give him a competitive advantage. Do you think there's a competitive advantage to holding that information? This is a thing all college coaches do. And even NFL coaches, like, I don't understand it. I guess it forces the defense to like game plan for Billy Atkins, but like Rick Stockskill, Stockstill has been around for a while. Yeah, um, I wouldn't be surprised, you know, if he read beat reporters and like understood what was happening at JMU and probably is doing 90% of prep for Todd and 5% for Billy Atkins and then the other 5% for Todd. Like, I don't think there's a competitive advantage. I think it's so stupid. Like, I think it's so dumb when he's like, oh, I don't know. Well, like everybody knows he's a starter. They're preparing for your scheme, like regardless of which guy. They're not going to – I don't think the offense would look like crazy different between Santeo and Atkins. I think Santeo maybe has more of like a mobile threat. Like I'm sure they've watched him at Colorado State. I'm sure they're heavy on the scheme from last season then maybe even looking back a little to what they did with Danucci. So dumb. Like it's such a stupid – I don't know. I think it's really dumb where he's like, oh, we're not going to tell anyone because it's a competitive advantage. It's like, what's the, I, mean, I don't understand the benefit. It doesn't hurt though. Like I imagine the team knows who the starter is. So like from a JMU perspective, it's not hurting anyone. It's not hurting your game plan. All it can do is just be annoying for us, for it's just annoying, and for, yeah, for like, see, like it's just annoying, but it doesn't hurt anything in the JMU camp. It doesn't hurt anything. I think that part of it that irritates me is it's dumb for fans and media, but even more so, it's so, so stupid 
that like everyone in the media sort of like has to play along with it. Like there's no one else starter. We don't know who it is. Like, yes, you do. (laughs) Everybody knows. Everybody would be floored if Billy Atkins goes out and is the starting quarterback on Saturday. So it's such a dumb ritual that all these teams do. Like I saw TCU is doing it. They're like, we might play three quarterbacks. No, you're not. Maybe, (laughs) maybe they will. The other thing that people like Michigan did a dumb thing where they're like, we're in week one, we're going to start Cade McNamara, whatever the hell his name is. And in week two, we're going to start JJ McCarthy. And then in week three, we'll determine our starter. It's like cool for scheduling a pillow soft non-conference schedule that allows you to do that. Wolverines, good stuff, Jim Harbaugh. But it's so, I think it's dumb. I think it's a waste of time. And I think it's stupid that people can't just, like, I know that they have to be like, oh, the facts are what this are. Just say that he's a starting quarterback. Like, he's a starting quarterback. Let's act as if Todd Santeo is a starting quarterback. We don't need to play along with this stupid little charade that it, that doesn't make any sense to me. I love it. Um, so moving on from that, <laughs> Reggie Brown, Terrence Green are the starting wide receivers. Uh, Chris Thornton is the starting slot. Um, I don't think it's fair to say there's a wide receiver one, two, and three. I think this is more, we were talking about this before we hit record. I think this is more of like an X, Y, Z type of setup with this offense. Um, so I don't think Reggie Brown is the wide receiver three and Terrence Green's the wide receiver one and Chris Thornton's the wide receiver two, whatever it is. I think they all play an integral role in the offense. So it'll be interesting to see how each one does it. Also worth mentioning, Devin Ravenel's listed twice on the two deep under yeah. wide receiver and slot. So expect the redshirt senior uh, to get some solid run, finally healthy after a few years of battling some injuries. I think COVID at one point during the COVID season. Um, so Devin Ravenel will hopefully get some run this year, uh, whether it's in the slot or just with four wide receiver sets or anything like that. Yeah, don't skip my guy, Maxwell James, my breakout guy getting in oh. there behind Reggie Brown on the on the 2D. But yeah, kind of going off what you said, I agree that everyone's going to get catches. Thornton figures to be the guy who gets the most target yeah. share based on last season, I would think. Um, but I think like Reggie Brown, Maxwell James, Terrence Green, Devin Ravenel, they're all going to catch the ball and be involved. So uh, no surprises there. And you kind of want to keep them fresh. So interested to see how those guys behind Reggie Brown uh, and Terrence Green play. Like can Maxwell James and Devin Ravenel really contribute to a point where they feel comfortable if they need to, you know, in early fourth quarter or something, or even late fourth quarter, sub them out, bring somebody else in and, and keep guys fresh. And moving to the defense, Mikel Kamara is listed with Abi. Nwabaku Nwabaku Akonji at defensive end. So that's an or. And on the opposite defensive end, it's Isaac Ukwu getting the start. Jalen Green listed as the two. I mean, what really jumps out at me when you look at the two deep for the defensive line is just the complete depth they have here. James Carpenter's nose guard. He's been really solid. And then in defensive tackle, you have Jamari Edwards, uh, Jordan Funk, and Jamri Jamri Chroma a Rutgers transfer. Jamari Edwards is, I believe, a Marshall transfer. Marshall transfer. Jordan Funk, homegrown talent. But this I think, defensive... he was, I think Funk might have been an Army guy. Oh, was he the Army guy? I think so. Okay, so three transfers at defensive tackle. I mean, looking at this defensive line, yeah. you're going you're gonna to just have a complete revolving door. No one's going to get more than 75% snaps probably, and they're just going to be dominant and fresh all game. I'm pretty terrified of the interior, to be honest with you. Of like, you are, it, yeah, because they had it was supposed to be like, what was it, Thurston, Tony Thurston? Yeah, and he left the program, and he just left and like retired from football 
Astrid Tyler Negron. I don't know. Like I'm J- James Carpenter is a good player, and I don't think we've seen much of of Sean Johns. But like you got your P. nose Diddy. guard. What's that? P Diddy, Sean John. <laughs> You've got your nose guard weighing two seventy six. I d- I did don't love it. I did put that note on my notes that I made from the two deep. Um, it's a small defensive line. Like it is a tiny defensive line, but I nobody's mean, there's one guy on the two deep over 280 and it's Edwards at 281. So I'll say this. I think they're leaning more into a speedy athletic defense where you can just pick and shoot. Like the defensive tackle can bust out to the edge the the edge can bust into like, I think, I think this is a purposeful thing because we saw them get transfers. They recruit heavy set guys on the offensive line. That's what they want to do on the offense. They want to run the ball. They want to play an efficient passing game. And to do that, you need big offensive linemen. I think for the defensive line, if they wanted to run a more traditional two big guys, two defensive ends, they would recruit that way. I think this is purposeful. I think they're going to try and be speedy, athletic, lots of guys coming in, revolving doors, get after the quarterback, push up the field. Because there's never really been just huge nose guards or defensive tackles for JMU. I mean, Mike Green held his own with. Yeah, but with, was, was he, he? But I don't 90? think he was. Yeah, but I don't. 290? I think I he was two eighties. Like I, I see your point. Yeah. But I don't think it's a huge problem. I think it's purposeful, partially because they have to do it. Like if Thurston was still here, I think he'd be starting at two ninety two. That's valid. And then maybe Carpenter is a, the backup. Like if he goes down and you have Sean Johns who hasn't really played at 270 pounds as your starting nose guard, and you're telling me that you're September 24th, you go to Boone, North Carolina, I feel like they're just going to punch him in the mouth. I do think they'll be athletic and fast. I'm just terrified of like, what if the team that always stops the run Doesn't loses run. that, that physical battle because they're not That's playing valid. Delaware anymore yeah. and they lose. I think you're probably right. Cause the guys like at 270 and 280 are absolutely shredded and like, can still move people. So it wanted a mattering, but from like an on paper view, I'm like, Oh, where's the big guy. So, you know, what worries me on paper? <laughs> Are we going secondary? We'll, we'll get to the linebackers in a second. That's what worries me. These, this secondary, I could care less about what's happening up front. I mean, Sam kid starting strong safety, uh, Josh Surratt starting free safety. And then the, I mean, that's fine. Q Reed is the backup. Uh, Francis Mihan's the backup. So, I mean, there is some experience at that safety position. They're solid players. Um, I don't have too much worry there, but I mean, Jordan Swan at corner, the redshirt senior from Maine, Xavier Coakley, the redshirt sophomore from Michigan state. And then was he, I didn't, was he a transfer? Yeah. Sorry. Let me pull it up. I thought the Michigan state guy was a freshman hit me i believe yeah I'm he's right. he's been at jmu since uh 2020 but is he the michigan state transfer though no who's the michigan state antoine booth antoine booth my fault is the michigan state transfer um let me pull up all the backup corners devin coles the norfolk state transfer doesn't crack the two deep john ransom a virginia tech transfer who didn't see any action in 2021 after spending two seasons with virginia tech doesn't crack the two deep um brett and, brent austin a california freshman kind of uh, dig that to be honest with you that's he, cool he does crack the two deep um but i'm worried about this cornerback because if you send out three or four receivers and you force them to use cornerbacks three and four 
Brent Austin, Antoine Booth. There's no depth there either. One of those guys go down, and then all of a sudden you're seeing a lot of inexperience coming into the cornerback room. Here's my question. If they do that, they bring out, let's say they're playing four or five receivers. Do you bring out additional corners, or do you just go to Rover and you've got, you know, let me get my name and pronunciation here. <laughs> Jerry is Romanenk. Do you bring him out? Or do you have, you know, I think what you do Chuck is you Winnicky. bring out, I think you, you play a, a pretty aggressive. I don't, I mean, they play a four, two, four. I don't know how much man is typical or how much man they plan to do because Corey Heatherman did leave the program to be the linebacker coach at um, Rutgers. I forgot who stepped in, but it was the old linebackers coach for JMU is now the head Brent coach. Haynes. Brent Haynes um, is now the defensive coordinator. Brian Haynes. Brian Haynes. Way to make me look dumb, Bennett. Sorry. Um, but like, I don't know how much man or zone he prefers, but if you're running that out, I think you just play man and bring in Q Reed and Francis Mihan Cause I think they're better than any corner. Yeah. And Meredith, the NC state transfer is another guy who didn't crack the TV, oh, yeah. which is really <laughs> interesting that these power five kids or like experienced FCS kids aren't making the two deep. It's worth interesting. I wonder, I, I don't know. I have my, my questions, but I'm be interested to see actually Booth did get in the two deep. He got behind Coakley. Yeah, so yeah, Booth, yeah. Booth He's was the at least only included. One, yeah. But interesting that Meredith wasn't on the two deep interested that, that Booth was a backup. I don't know. I think it'll be, uh, be interesting to see how it develops. And we'll break down the linebackers. Once we finish up this chat with Sam, Sam comes to us from middle Tennessee. He is the team's uh, beat writer for middle Tennessee athletics, Sam Doughton. Um, joins us here to chat about what we can expect from the Blue Raiders on Saturday. We now welcome in Sam Doughton, our special guest to analyze Middle Tennessee for us. Sam, welcome on. We'll have you start just for our people. If you could introduce yourself, tell us how you cover Middle Tennessee, when that started, and uh, we'll go from there. Well, Ben and Jack, thanks for, thanks for having me on. I'm really excited to be here. Um, I am the staff writer for GoBlueRaiders.com, which is the in-house site for Middle Tennessee. So I work for actually the athletic communications department of the university. And I sort of am, am the eyes and ears inside the program for Blue Raider fans. I try to um, give them the inside scoop as much as I can. Obviously, there's some things I can't share with my position, <laughs> but as much as you know, Coach Stockstill and his staff permits me to share, I try to share with the, our, our fan base. And I got started this. This is my second year covering the team. So I got started last year uh, with a, the big Bahamas Bowl season and excited for another year of Blue Raider football. Love it. Love it. Yeah, they went seven and six last year. Um, mm -hmm. I think the biggest question is the quarterback, Chase Cunningham. If, mm -hmm. if, if I could decipher the stats from last year correctly, I think he didn't really get a true start until game three or something like that, then was injured, but was a solid player overall when he was healthy. And now he's back healthy for this season. What can JMU fans expect out of Chase Cunningham and the overall air attack that middle Tennessee will be deploying? Yeah. Chase, I believe his first official start was the fourth game against Charlotte, but he played most of the second half of the third game against UTSA okay. last year. Um, but, yeah, no, he, he was a really, really solid uh, pickup. He's got started as a walk-on in the program uh, when he first came in and has sort of just grinded his way uh, to the position he's in where, you know, I think the, the depth chart we released shows him 
in the or. So you might see him or Nick Vadiato, who finished the year at quarterback after Chase got hurt at the end of the day. But Chase is a super accurate quarterback. He, he's really good at those short to mid-range throws, um, really good at timing on those things. And that fits well with the type of air raid system that uh, Mitch Stewart, our new offensive coordinator, has put in this year. I think probably the most underrated trait for Chase is his mobility. He's got some ability to do some read option type stuff and particularly get get out of the way if, if things get uh, sketchy in the pocket, which happened a, a little bit for us last year. <laughs> um, and that's made him an attractive player to uh, the coaching staff in particular for that reason. So, But he's a gamer. He, he's somebody that has a lot of trust in his teammates just because he's been in the program so long. It's his sixth year with Middle Tennessee this year. And you know, I think all of us are, are interested to see how that knee holds up once he gets out on the field in a real game situation. It's looked good in camp so far. I haven't seen anything different other than the fact he's wearing a brace on it. But, you know, obviously it's a little different when you go out there for that first game. Yeah, I was interested too, just the overall too deep. I'm a sucker for size when I'm just looking <laughs> at papers. So I, yeah. I figured you could give us some context on some of these guys, but they seem like they've at least got some some dudes with some pretty impressive athletic tools. I mean, you look at receivers who are 6'4", 6'5". You got defensive linemen who are, you know, 300 plus pounds at some spots, 240 pound linebacker. Mm-hmm. Who are some of the names that JMU fans should should keep an eye on in this Middle Tennessee team? Well, I mean, offensively, I think the, the, the big wide out spot, you know, the, the Y wide receiver mm-hmm. is going to be an interesting weapon for us. Last year, we had a 6'5 wide receiver that, that played that, Jimmy Marshall. And this year, we got a 6'4 wide out, Isaiah Gay Things, who came to us from Gardner Webb. And this is his first chance to really sort of get a starting role in middle. And then uh, Jeremy Tate, who's actually a converted tight end from Memphis that came in. Uh, he's also, I mean, Jeremy Tate, I, I have no idea how they get him to work at wide receiver in practice, but it, it's an incredible weapon to have. Um, I think on, on, on offense as well, the, the interesting thing for me at least is how much bigger our offensive line is compared to last year. They really made a big emphasis to bring in some bigger linemen to get the tackle position. So you've got some six, five tackles over there, which you, you don't see too much at the G5 level these days. And then defensively, the biggest name everyone needs to know is number nine, Jordan Ferguson. Um, all conference defensive end, uh, incredible person off the field, but he's uh, just a, a wrecker um, in the pass rush and he's pretty good in run support as well. That whole defensive line, two deeps, got about 219 games of collegiate experience between them, give or take. Um, so that's a really experienced room right there. But Jordan's definitely the, the big highlight there, probably the, if I had to guess, the best pro prospect on this list out of everybody. Yeah, that makes sense with with Jeremy Tate being a transfer. I mean, a, a converted tight end. I saw him at six <laughs> five, like two sixty, mm-hmm. and was like, "Oh my god, <laughs> receiver!" Yeah, no, no. Our our previous offensive coordinator Brent Deerman ran a lot of eleven personnel that used okay. the tight end, and so when, when he left for FAU, I think a lot of the people just stayed here, and Mitch Stewart sort of converted them to that ten personnel system where they're going to be more slot receiver than a tight end necessarily, though. Gotcha. But we'll, we'll see what happens on the field. I'm curious how uh, Coach Stewart's going to use them <laughs> for sure. That's a large human. Considering yes. JMU's largest wide receiver is six two. Um, I think mm-hmm. Bennett and I would kill for a six five wide receiver <laughs> to watch on Saturdays. It, it's you know, J- Jimmy Marshall last year really opened my eyes to what a guy that size can do in more of like a slot type role. I always think of those guys as outside guys before yeah. and but throwing them in the slide, it's just a huge matchup issue. Most teams are not gonna have a linebacker fast enough or a safety big enough to really cover them well. And so they can get a lot of real easy eight, 10 yard gains just off of just standing there and being a huge <laughs> target. 
Yeah, it's nuts. I covered uh, UVA last year, and they had Jelani Woods at tight end of 6'7", like 270, and he's running down the middle of the field. It just it doesn't look right. It's like an <laughs> offensive lineman accidentally started running a route or something. It's not- yeah. Well, and, and I think what makes them even more effective and what middle tries to do is that often the other slot is going to be somebody like Yusuf Ali or Elijah Metcalf, 5'9", mm-hmm. 5'10", with crazy speed. So you've got to have a guy to follow somebody on each side of the field. And if they switch, you then all of a sudden you've got to switch. And it, it gets messy really fast, particularly at the tempo we go. Well, now I'm worried considering Jamie's <laughs> biggest question mark, I think this season is the secondary and the linebackers, mm-hmm. the corners, everything past the front four is a question mark. So having the secondary have to match up against a speedster on one side and just a behemoth of a man on the other side um, will be really interesting as Chase Cunningham is slinging it to him. Um, yeah, no, and, 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 you know, or whoever the starter is. Yeah, well, yeah, it's, I'm, I'd be, I'm, I think you might see both of them on Saturday. Um, it also wouldn't surprise me if our radio guy gets the word 30 minutes before kickoff that only one guy's going to be the guy, and that's when we all find out as well. <laughs> but, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see for sure. You, you mentioned y'all secondary, you know, being a question mark. I think that's probably the back sevens, like the biggest question mark for us as well um, going into this year. I think in, during camp it was the offensive line. But they've developed enough because they, they have, I think they had six guys in spring ball that were healthy enough to be in practice every single day. And now they've got 20 guys in that room. Um, <laughs> so that they've gelled together enough where I think that there's some, there's some confidence there. But I think the back seven, we lost Reed Blankenship, who just made the Eagles roster as an undrafted free agent at safety, had 419 tackles in his career here. Um, and then DQ Thomas, who's in camp with the Jets, probably gonna be a practice squad type player for them this year at linebacker. And you had Greg Great and Jurente Davis, both transferred to Jackson State. And you had Quincy Riley, who was our starting corner that was top three in the country in the interceptions. He's at Louisville. So you lose five of your seven guys back there. And so the, the people on the, the they're starting on the two deep played a lot last year, but they weren't in those high top key roles they were the nickel corner or they were you know the third safety that came in on a down or they're starting opposite Quincy one week and then the next guy would start the next week or something so that's a really interesting area (laughs) to see because we really don't know what they're going to look like working together and I don't think the depth's maybe necessarily there as it was last year you you mentioned uh one of the corners that left was top three in the league and interceptions I think Middle Tennessee led the country in takeaways with, let me check my notes, 32 total takeaways last season. Mm -hmm. Um, So like two-ish per game, insane stat. Is that something that is coached? Because I know sometimes you can talk about how fumbles and fumble recoveries are all just literally how the ball bounces Mm -hmm. and it's, it's almost luck. But is that something that the defensive coaches kind of try and teach? It's hit the ball, get the ball type of thing. Yeah, I mean, like when they're doing their like first 30 minutes of practice, when they're you're going through your drills of your position groups, about the first about 30 minutes of that is just going to be straight takeaway drills for the defense on the defensive side of the ball, doing things like trying to strip the ball for linebackers and in, in, in corners, a lot of hands drills for defensive backs in particular, you know, it, you know, punching the ball out for defensive linemen. So it's a huge point of emphasis for the team, and it was you know something I saw in camp last year, and I was like, oh, that's that's interesting. That's how they started. And then, you know, within the first three games, I was like, this team might have some some juice with that. And so, you know, obviously, I do, I do think there is still some luck to it, particularly as you mentioned on the fumble side. So we'll see if they're able to, to replicate that to that extent. 
this year, but definitely something that's a huge point of emphasis with the defensive staff, no question. Yeah, I was interested too, just with the the coaching staff. Obviously, Stock still isn't really a new kid on the block. <laughs> He's been there, been there quite a while. But you mentioned a new offensive coordinator. What's sort of the uh, experience with the coaching staff? What's some of the philosophy with the new OC? Is it expected to be drastically different from years past? What are you sort of expecting from that coaching change? Well, Mitch Stewart uh, comes to us from Stanford University, where he was the offensive coordinator. He was the head coach at Murray State for a long time. That's actually how he got to know. A lot of people on our staff are offensive line coach Mike Polly and him coached at Murray when he was uh, the offensive coordinator at Murray. And Murray's not probably about two hours from here in the middle. So Murray was often coming to a lot of our camps uh, during the summer when he was there to help, you know, for him to evaluate um, guys coming up through the high school ranks. And that's sort of how he got here is <laughs> he knew a lot of the guys on staff from that. But another reason why he's a good fit is that before Brent Deeran last year, who was more of a spread RPO type system, um, it's basically been air raid of some form or fashion for a very long time. Here, Tony Franklin was the offensive coordinator for a long time. That he's known as an air raid guru. Mitch Stewart is literally two degrees away from Hal Mummy himself on the on the Hal Mummy tree. I think his head coach at Valdosta, where he was the quarterback, played under Hal and then coached under Hal before Hal left. So that's that's how tight he is that air raid system. Um, from what I can tell, it's not as pure air raid as someone like Mike Leach or something. There, it's a, it's a little bit more hybrid there but it, i mean also you know one thing that i hear all the time from the offensive staff is that we, we don't run a whole lot of concepts we just sort of uh, want to run what our bread and butter is and uh just beat you doing that better than anybody else and that's a very i think air raid sort of thing to do and they like and they definitely like to throw it around they like to tempo it that was very apparent to it and I, and one thing the players have liked about it is that the, the, i think the decision trees are a little easier for the quarterback and because they can run so many plays out of very similar sets that they're not having to move around as much when they're mm -hmm. going tempo, they can just sort of line up and go. And that's, I think, something appealing for the offense that if they get on a roll, they can just get up, line up, go, go. And then all of a sudden you look up and they're 20 yards down the field in, you know, 40 seconds. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like we should bet the over in this game. Both, <laughs> both back sevens have some questions. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah I was... I'm I'm always curious with that because I'm just yeah, the the over there, there's some interesting money on the over in my opinion but I also think there's so many questions on each side of the ball yeah. for each team that it, there's just going to be some rookie mistakes coming out of the gate for both sides I'm sure yeah some of those week one you got the jitters and rusts and all that stuff coming off certainly 57 and a half is currently the total I just want to throw that out sure. there so I, I don't think the over is hitting just considering yeah the pure question marks for JMU's offense, considering zero starts at JMU with the entire quarterback room. Um, but that's just me. That's just me. That's just you. Yeah. I can't remember if it was the, over. I think it was the over that some like Caesars better put like a yeah. hundred grand on or something. Yeah. Something really oh, strange. No, yeah. Yeah. It's, I think they, I think they get over a hundred grand off of that, it. Yeah. 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 That's, <laughs> something yeah. Nuts. yeah. Very strange. Last question for me, I was kind of just curious uh, with the fan base, you're obviously very in touch with them. What's sort of their thoughts on conference realignment, all those things and middles sort of place in the group of five right now? Are they, I guess, excited about the future this year or what sort of the, as much as you can say working for the university, what do they uh, sort of feel about everything that's going on? Uh, I, I think the, the general tenor would be some form of frustration with it. Mm -hmm. I think I I think there was definitely a, a feeling that maybe we were overlooked a little bit in the last round and, and middle in particular has had 
really strong Olympic sport programs. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, just, you know, particularly with football, you know, last year was the first running season they had in in three years. You know, football was not on the best foot that it's ever been um, at the time all that was going down. And so I I think there's definitely some feeling that, you know, maybe we got, you know, overlooked in in that cycle. But there is some genuine excitement, particularly internally, about what Conference USA is turning into. I think we're really excited about adding Liberty next year, adding um, Sam Houston State, uh, Jacksonville State to, you know, very similar programs to y'all and that they've had a lot of success at the FCS level, probably not to the extent that y'all have, but still <laughs> some, some, some decent success mm-hmm. at the yeah. very least that, you know, if they have a winning culture in place, hopefully we'll continue over to the next level, which is, you know, certainly happened at App and Georgia Southern. And I suspect this is going to happen with you guys as well. Um, and so there's some good excitement about that. And New Mexico State's also a really good travel partner for UTEP that had, has had a lot of success in basketball. Um, so I think that's good for the, the conference blueprint as well. Um, but, but overall, I think middle's sort of goal is just to, to do the best that we can with the situation that we're in right now. We know we sort of maybe missed the boat now, but we're, I think that, you know, we're going to break ground on a new $66 million, you know, football student athlete performance center, um, once the season's done. And so hopefully as we get our facilities up to the level that some of these conferences were looking at. That whenever that next carousel hits, people will think of us a little bit differently than we were in the past. Yeah, I think that next carousel might be hitting a little sooner rather than later with everything happening with the Big Ten, Big Twelve. Seems like we just won't get mm-hmm. into too much of conference realignment because yeah, is, no, it I, is I, mind-boggling. I, I am curious about that because I, there, I think my read on that was that be it'd be mostly the Power Five moving stuff around themselves. Um, and it wouldn't trickle down so much to, to, to our level because I don't see the American wanting to really jump at anything. Yeah. Um, and really, there's not a ton of schools left to raid, honestly, <laughs> from, 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 from the G5 level. You know, maybe in 10 years, there, there'll be programs that have stepped up. Like I could definitely see UTSA being a school that mm-hmm. it, once they start investing in sports, not named football, uh, could be a school that really uh, puts themselves in the map. James Madison obviously's got a tremendous Olympic sport. Um, tradition across the board um and and that's the type of thing that you know it's hard to get started but once it's started and you keep it rolling and you bring in some other success could afford well for for the school in the future Uh, and i think that's why i'm high on middle long term as well is that we have a lot of that similar dynamic where we care a lot about how men's tennis does we care a lot about how baseball does softball does and you know some athletic farms don't they just want Mm -hmm. yeah their one program to do really well whatever that program may be and hopefully, I think long term that that's going to help um, schools like Middle and schools like James Madison that care a lot about it. Awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Makes a ton of sense. And I remember growing up, I feel like Middle was always in a bowl game. That was something I was always interested in, like pick them every year. And mm-hmm. growing up, high school, early college, it was like yeah, this is, pretty this much is, every year. This is Stock's seventeenth season. I believe he's been in a bowl eleven of the sixteen yeah. that he's coached. So that's that's a pretty good track record as far as keeping the, the program sustained, particularly given the fact that he's been at a facilities disadvantage for a decent amount of time, really until you know hopefully within the next couple of years we're, we're back on that game. Yeah, that's sure. fascinating. Mm-hmm. Anything else, Bennett? No, I think that's all I got. You got anything else? I'm I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited for Saturday. Are we, uh, are we allowed to get score predictions from you, Sam? Are you willing to, I know some places, some people do, other places don't. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm, I'm generally okay with score predictions as long as I always pick middle with it. And, <laughs> right, thankf- and, and, and thankfully, this line is, is, is it's going to be a really close game. I yeah. think that that's, that's 
yeah sort of what 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 excited me about this i know this week we were originally scheduled to play missouri until missouri Mm -hmm. got new ad and said why are we traveling to murfreesboro let's just pay them eight hundred thousand dollars and not deal with these people anymore and so you know that's what happened and then y'all needed a fifth home game so for the fbs transition so that worked out mutually beneficial for everybody but i'm excited for the game i know i know y'all's fans are amped up for it. it's gonna be a really good environment down there um and you know i actually i think i might just barely let's see would 31 28 get us the over there i think that was 59 yeah Yeah. so that's what i'll go with i think i think our 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 kicker has has added some distance just kicks us here maybe hits a a 45 yarder you know in the closing minute to pull it out that stadium bridgeforth stadium is is known for some highlight reel some goosebump giving last second field goals for sure so mm-hmm. wouldn't be the first wouldn't be the last um hopefully it would be the last that jamie you can't <laughs> suffer from but mm-hmm. I, I appreciate i like i like that pick i like mm-hmm. that too and you got the missouri eight hundred thousand dollar. you got jamie paying seven hundred thousand dollars sam you gotta you gotta call <laughs> up your bosses and you see if you can get a cut of it <laughs> yeah I, I i think the number i saw was that i think alabama is paying us 1.6 million to go oh, wow. there next year <laughs> oh so, so so this game is a hundred thousand dollars less of a payout that's crazy yeah <laughs> going to alabama <laughs> college athletics baby yeah, it's a wonderful world ain't it boys <laughs> it's something <laughs> Well, y'all, I appreciate you having me on. I, re- I really like the chance to share. And, you know, for, for your folks, you know, you gave your thoughts about James Madison for me, and that'll be out Friday on our site on Go Blue Raiders. So I'll be having Jack's thoughts on, on where James Madison's heading this year um, up on our site for our fans. So I'm always excited to see that. And that's why I love doing this. I love meeting people across, you know, the college football world. And I'm excited that y'all are now part of the FBS world as well, because y'all have been killing it at that level for so long that, it's time for a move up for y'all. And I think you are going to be really successful with it. We appreciate it. And thank you. Yeah. And thank you so much for coming on. If you want to plug any socials, anything like that, before you head up on out of here, please do. The floor is yours. Well, I mean, the easiest place to find me is on Twitter. You can find me at, at S J Doughton. That's D O U G H T O N. That's the the Twitter handle. You can find me there. You can find all my writing there. I usually am just retweeting out the links that we get from our empty football accounts on that stuff. Empty athletics. Um, I have a feature on our starting running back, Frank Pizant, that I actually have to go right right after I get off of y'all. Um, <laughs> so excited about that one. You know, he's got a real interesting story. He was somebody who was recruited as a linebacker um, to middle and then, you know, basically became a running back after running for 2,000 yards of senior year of high school. So wow. it's, uh, you know, pretty interesting little story of how he ended up with us. But um, a good way to, you know, and you can flip through our news tab on our football page and read all of my preview stuff. If you want to learn a little bit more about who some of the names are on our side of the ball. Um, I certainly do that with all the James Madison guys that I can find on Twitter leading up to this week as well. Awesome. We appreciate it. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you all. Great conversation with Sam. Cool to have him on. Maybe threw him a little wrench there at the end when I asked about the Middle Tennessee fans being potentially upset about Conference USA as a university employee. But other than that, Jack, I thought it went smoothly. smoothly. No, I thought it went. I mean, his answer for it, though, was also really solid. I like how he brought up the Olympic sports being good at Middle Tennessee. Their football team has been um, not great as of late, but before the last couple of years, they were a consistent bowl team. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think their location kind of gives them a tough draw. I think JMU being in Virginia with relative closeness to the likes of UVA, Virginia Tech, ODU, Maryland, um, Georgetown, which is which used to be a you know a major Big East basketball school, not so much anymore. And even going south to App State, UNC, Chapel Hill, you have Duke, like all of that. I think the geographic location of JMU, on top of it being a great school with great facilities made it a really interesting draw for a lot of conferences. I think middle Tennessee kind of got the short end of the stick in terms of its geographic location. That also could be me just talking out of my butt. Um, Cause the only real school I can think of that is a huge draw for them. That's close to middle Tennessee's Tennessee. Yeah. I mean, what else? I guess I don't know how close they are to Kentucky and Louisville oh, and all those guys. What Vanderbilt is somewhere, right? Or the, yeah, Vanderbilt's think, in Nashville. Yeah. Yeah. But um, Good I don't, yeah, I think JMU's, JMU makes way more sense, like in the Sunbelt geographically, right? Yeah. And they have like past history with some of those teams. So um, kind of tough. Some of it's tough too, that Conference USA kind of just didn't necessarily position itself in a great spot. Like I think if you put Middle Tennessee with some other powers, it could G5 powers, like if they were in the AAC and something, I don't know. Maybe there are some, some options there they might prefer. Yeah, the AAC, the problem, though, is that they're going after schools in like major, major metros. Yeah. And Middle Tennessee is not in a major metro, which is a big like you might be sitting back and you're like, why did the American add Charlotte? It's because it's in Charlotte. Right. And like that's a major reason why. And I also think that's why the American looked over JMU. Harrisonburg's is not a major metro and the AAC is going towards that. So. Which I think is kind of a stupid plan, to be honest. Oh, 100 percent. They're trying I'm to play <laughs> the, the market game. The lot they're trying to become like a big 10 type of conference at the G five level. And I think not to get too into this realignment talk of it all, but I just feel like at this stage of it, if you're not an sec, a big 10, really, that's it. You need to play the regionalized game. Yeah. It's especially a G five. Like you just got to have a product that's compelling. I feel like, and that'll be good in the long term. So excited about the Sunbelt seen from middle tennessee um but hey we got him week one it should be an interesting game before we hopped on with sam we left off without talking linebackers so we got a little more defensive talk we got to talk about the very very young linebacker crews you got torres jones and jalen walker starters redshirt sophomore and a sophomore respectively and mateo jackson uh is the second string mike backer with trent hendrick being the second string will backer um Interesting to note, Seth Naudala is not on the two deep. I've been told that he was really, really, really good. He just hasn't seen a lot of time and doesn't crack the two deep. I don't know who's telling you that, but uh, you might want to you might want to go back to him. And no, he's still a good player, I think. I, he's probably somewhere just below that. But Trent Hedrick is a uh, a high quality player. I'm excited about like the Hendrick one, right? It's like I think he's a true freshman. According to the two deep, he is. But they also said that about Booth, which was very wrong. Does it just say freshman for Booth? Oh, it does. Yeah. They spent like a year at. <laughs> yeah. He's a, a true freshman, though. Okay. Hendrick's, a, Hendrick's a true freshman from Richmond, six feet tall, 234. So having him there is, is kind of exciting. So they got some talented young linebackers. I don't know. I'm like, I'm cautiously optimistic about the defense, but I think there are some legitimate questions. Uh, especially with the competition levels, so much better. Like it, it was pretty cool when you could just like roll out and play a 
a Campbell or a Richmond or a William the, and Mary. We, we even talked about this last year. The number of backup quarterbacks they played was astounding. So like you're going up against like a Delaware or a Richmond and they don't even have their top guy. Obviously a school like that is not going to have like extreme quarterback depth when you can't even really get that unless you're like a top five program in the FBS. So. Yeah, they're playing that. And then not to mention FCS quarterbacks, just like there is a steep drop off from FCS to FBS. And like Davis cheek was the best quarterback. The Dukes have played probably in the last five years and he had beaten them in Bridgeforth. Like this secondary is going to get exposed at times. I think a lot of our questions though, will be answered pretty quickly in this game. Like, we'll see if the talent that we've been told actually translates to the talent on the field. I have reservations on whether the secondary will be able to slow any team down. Um, After you brought up the size of the defensive line, I'm a little bit worried that against, you know, the app States, the coastals, the Louisville's, even though I didn't expect them to beat Louisville, but like against these top tier teams in terms of what the schedule is, I am worried about the run defense too. I think the pass rush will be fine, but if you're getting gouged for five yards of carry, there's no need to pass it. Um, so there's a lot of questions on the defensive side of the ball. The offensive side, when this with this too deep, I feel pretty, pretty comfortable about the offense. I think they'll be able to take a lot of, like I think they'll be able to deliver a lot of blows, take a lot of blows that the defense, defense is going to give them. But I think the offense overall will be able to put up some points, will be efficient, will be good. Um, the questions all lie on the defense. Can we talk transfers for a second, please? Because I feel like there's this idea in the JMU fan base, maybe not totally, but a little bit of like, next man up, we got talent, we got depth. How different would you feel about this roster if at receiver they had Antoine Wells, at linebacker they had Tucker Dorsey, and uh, at corner they had Wesley McCormick? I because would- I would feel drastically more confident in the season. Oh, you mean three power five transfers? If they were on this <laughs> roster, how would I feel? I'd feel great. I'd feel, no, I see what you mean though. It's maybe not as much Wells, even though that is a, I mean, he's one of they've the got best. some guys at receiver. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, that is a loss. Don't get me wrong. Like, but his production will be replaced by the likes of Brown, um, Ravenel, Terrence green, but defensively, if you said you had Tucker Dorsey at Mike, Taurus Jones or Jalen Walker were the one, two at the will. And then pair that with Wesley McCormick taking over for Jordan Swan with CB one, Jordan Swan being pushed to CB two, and then your CB two becoming your CB three. And then the depth that you have at safety, I'd feel so much like, I think that's the crazy thing about corner too. If you Mm -hmm. have one good corner, it masks a lot of your problems because then you know where the opposing quarterback is going to go. But now McCormick's at West Virginia. And yeah, I think if those two guys, Tucker Dorsey and McCormick are on this team, I have, I don't think I have a question about this defense. Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. It's going to be interesting because we talked about like Austin at corner as a backup and Booth, the young corner. Like you have any injuries at corner? You're in a two league with freshmen. some, you're in a league with some pretty good quarterbacks and then you got freshman corner. So I don't know. We'll see what happens. Maybe you switch someone then. Maybe maybe it is a, a guy who's playing rover or safety slides over. And, you know. I'm going to flip that question too. So it's almost like the inverse of it. 
Yeah. Do you feel that JMU fans over inflate the impact transfers have had on this program in the last two years? It's been a pretty big impact, I would say. And in some certain spots, yes and no. I think there are way too many times where a guy comes in and I I'm guilty of this where I'm like, Oh, that guy will play. Like I will come in from like a, what is it? AJ Davis or how many guys they bring in this year that, that I think it was, I think it was two AJ Davis and Kobe white. Right. And then they had uh, they were going to get Gunnar Holmberg. I like Santeo more, but like some of it's valid. I think like Danucci was obviously a huge one. I'm trying to think of some other names that were trans Rondell Carter, right. And he started at Rutgers and then transferred. It's like, they've had some, let me rephrase that. Cause I think, I mean, like, Maybe I just mean this season. Do JMU fans overinflate? Like, because I'm just looking at this offense of this defensive line, right? And you have uh, a Konji. I was trying to pronounce his name. I'm so sorry. Um, you have a Konji who's a Minnesota transfer, like Edwards, Chroma, um, and then even Antoine Booth, John Ransom, like all of these guys who are these power five transfers coming in? And it seems like at times JMU fans are like really high on them, but they hardly, they're not cracking the two deeps. I'm saying, do you think we put too much stock in those guys when they come in? I think the freshmen way too much, like those young corners. I think we were putting way too much stock in because people were like, Oh shoot. He played it a power five. And it's like, well, he didn't play. It's not like this guy was like a starting corner at Michigan state. He wasn't going to be anywhere near the realm of playing which is kind of clear with some of them not being on the two deeper being backups at jmu michigan state nc state they're both like top 25 caliber teams like there are some people who think nc state could like make the college football playoff so if you're not making jmu's too deep you're not like a starter for the wolf back so i think we overestimate some of that they do have some big ones though and it kind of feels like they did a better job with like g5 and fcs i feel like if a transfer has played somewhere else and proven themselves a little more, they're probably a safer bet, right? So Edwards at Marshall, you're looking at Centeo, right? A starter last year at Colorado State. Um, and then even like Terrence Green doing some things at Monmouth feels like he's going to get some reps at receiver. So I don't know. I mean, I I kind of like it when they go get some, some FCS guys or some G5 guys that have played and had some experience, but some of them are going to be hit and miss, right? Because everyone, or not everyone, but there are people on Twitter who are like, this Devin Coles guy think he could be a, you know, all Sunbelt guy at corner. Like there are people who are really hyping the Norfolk state transfer up who was pretty good there and he's not on the two deep. So don't know the explanations for all of those, but I think some of it is, is overinflated for sure. Okay. That's, that's really valid. Thank you for, uh, yeah, for answering that question for me. And before we get up on out of here, unless you have anything else to add on these two teams, do you want to do a little uh, score predictions last Sunbelt pick them? Let's do Sunbelt Pick'em, and then we'll head into our three-notched review preview of the game. Okay. And we we got to smatter in like a two-minute rant about the men's basketball non-conference schedule because it just really rubbing me the wrong way. Okay, perfect. So for everyone who's made it with us this far to wrap up this podcast, we're going to do Sunbelt Pick'em, heading into our three-notched game preview, and then we're going to wrap it up with a quick rant on men's basketball non-conference. Hit me with the pick'em. I'm pulling up my sunbelt. Okay. First game of the week. I'm pretty excited for this game. Okay. It's a Friday game. It's in Norfolk. It's uh, Old Dominion hosts Virginia Tech. Old Dominion hosts Virginia Tech. 
I'm pretty sure Old Dominion is just a five-point dog, if I'm not mistaken. Seven and a half. Really? It's, I think they were five-point at one point. Really? I'm not, I'm I, not arguing I, I got them you, at, I got them. It, it might, might be where you're looking. I don't know. I've, I got them at eight and a half, and they've been going down. So I, I would be surprised to see five, but it, I, okay. also there are a lot of sports books, so it's not impossible. <laughs> um, I'm going uh, Virginia Tech. I'm going to go ODU. Are you? I just think Tech might suck. Like more, I think ODU is probably a little better than people think. They have some experience at quarterback. I'm not concerned at all about their offensive coordinator leaving in August because I don't think he was that good, and their head coach has an offensive background. So, like, I think they're going to be fine. This going to be okay. ugly. They're playing at home. I'll give them the win. All right. Louisiana Monroe, Texas. I'll take, uh, I'll take Texas in this game. Is Texas back? Let me know. I'm taking Texas, too. That's an easy one. Yeah. Norfolk State Marshall. Marshall. Uh, great answer. I agree. There's no way Norfolk State um, can upset Marshall. Middle Tennessee JMU. We're doing that one now. Oh, sorry. I was just going down the list. Uh, Liberty Southern Miss. <laughs> I was going to go down the list too, but I didn't know if you wanted to do it now or save it. Liberty Southern Miss is actually a sneaky good game. Is it? Frank Gore Jr. still a Southern Miss, this is right? sneaky good. I think Southern Miss is criminally underrated. They didn't have a quarterback to finish. They played a game with no quarterback on the roster. Exactly. They can't get any worse. I think they're going to get a lot better this year, take a huge step. They dealt with some, some tough stuff last year. So I'm taking Southern Miss. I think Liberty's overrated. Southern Miss as a dog. Wow. Two dogs you have. Two dogs um, so far. Georgia State, USC. Sorry, South Carolina. I'll take South Carolina, but Georgia State's a pretty good team, so could be competitive. I'm going to take South Carolina as well because um, I think they are a sneaky team to really make some noise in the SEC. Really? Yeah, I think they're they're I think they're set up to make some noise this year. I think you were going to say because Antoine Wells, his, <laughs> no, no, his I, presence. I, I think Beamer Ball doing well. I like Rattler. Um, I think he was. I don't think he's the next great thing. I don't think he's the next great quarterback. But I think in South Carolina, fresh start with the weapons around him. And after a solid year last year, I think South Carolina is on the up and up. UNC App State. Uh, App State's hosting this game. I like Appalachian State. They're a small underdog at some places. Other places, they're a favorite now. That line's been kind of moving down. I like uh, I like Appalachian State at home. I'm going to App State at home, too. Um, you see, uh, sorry, you see UNC, they played Florida A&M in, in week zero. And almost lost. They like pulled away late and their defense was getting torched. And people are like, oh, they just weren't showing a lot of looks defensively. It's like Fort AM had like not that many guys available due to some weird yep. academic, you know, like weird infraction stuff that I think was because they like don't have a compliance officer who's qualified or something crazy. <laughs> but if, if you're like giving up yards to that yeah. team, I'm a little concerned. Um, 100%. And also, did you hear Mac Brown's comments this week? <laughs> no he was like we are really bad away from home in hostile environments and he goes and right. that's exactly what we're going into so we have to really focus interesting also just for those wondering Anthony wells is an or at one of the starting receiver positions for south carolina thank you for letting me know troy ole miss ole miss i think wins this game probably pretty easily <laughs> yeah i don't know <laughs> what the line is yeah, 21 and a half or something yeah um, Nichols South out. Al- we're getting into the bad part of the schedule. Yep. Nichols South Alabama. I will take the FBS team in South Alabama. I will take 
the FBS team as well. Um, Texas State, Nevada. This game sucks. Like, if you're coming up with a list of, like, crappiest FBS games this week, like, with two FBS teams, this has to be atop your list. Nevada looked disgusting, uh, but covered, but covered against New Mexico State in week zero. I don't think Texas State is any good. I think people are so far off Nevada that now that I like that as like a flip play. So I'll say Nevada wins, but God, what a disgusting game. I'm going to say Nevada as well, just because I have no faith in Texas State, but I think Nevada can win the game. And we're not, we're not picking against the spread here. So if we're just picking outright winner. It's basically a pick them too. Uh, that's sad. That's sad. Yeah, it is sad. <laughs> uh, remember when Nevada was good? Yeah. Oregon State, Georgia Southern. Georgia Southern. What do you mean? Shout out Clay Helton. You have no faith in uh, Morgan State? No. Neither do I. It's okay. Uh, Southeastern Louisiana. Oh, you remember them? Yeah. Apparently they had a quarterback that was going to beat JMU against Louisiana. Louisiana here in a little snooze fest. Yeah, Louisiana. Southeastern Louisiana is not good. Army Coastal. This game's and sick. I was going to say. Yes, I agree. <laughs> this game is so Two sick. Two option teams. Let's go. You've got Coastal. It runs that little spread option. They're willing to throw it around with Grayson McCall. you got Army, which might throw it like four times. Maybe. If Co- Coastal is like a two-point home favorite. If, if Army wins this game, I'm talking about like an Army undefeated season. Their schedule is pillow soft. Um, God, I don't. I really want to pick Army here, but I, I don't know. I'm, I'll say Coastal, but it's kind of a terrifying one, but I'll say Coastal. I'm glad you went Coastal because I'm going Army. Yeah. Just because I think if Army gets up like 14-0, it's over. They're just going to kill them, yeah. <laughs> like the way Army plays football is a thing of beauty. Now, if the yeah. entire country played football the way Army did, it'd be the ugliest thing in the world. But the fact that Army is the only school makes it beautiful. I hope this is like the Wake game last year. They played Wake last year. It was like 70 to 56 Wake, and it didn't make any sense. But I, uh, I'm kind of hoping it's that, because I feel like Coastal is going to be able to sling it a, re- a little bit with McCall, but that they game, lost some pieces. That game was terrible. It was amazing to watch, but it just made... Oh, horrible, yeah. Um, and last but not least... Probably the game we've all been waiting for because I don't know about you. I've had Grambling State, Arkansas State circled on my calendar for about two months now. They've, they're calling it the Battle of the States. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware of that, but well, that's cool. That's cool. I'll take Arkansas State here. A lot of, a lot of uh, FCS teams on the schedule here in week one. Yeah, I'm gonna go. We, we frown upon FCS teams now. We hate the FCS. Line. Yeah, they don't they don't deserve our recognition. <laughs> kidding, kidding. If any FCS media members are listening to this, we're kidding. Maybe. All right. Anything else on the Sun Belt Pick'em? Do we predict the boys or we wait until the preview? Uh preview. Okay, okay. All right. So it's time for the three notched preview. We're going to give you a quick breakdown, including weather, head coach, everything like that for Middle Tennessee, what to expect in a two-minute, 20-second segment. Let's do it. Weather for this Saturday, high of 85, low of 62. It's going to be cloudy, barely any chance of rain, and hardly any wind coming out of the south area at six miles per hour. Quick stats for Middle Tennessee they're coached by Rick Stockskill. He's been there forever. They went seven and six last season, seven and six against the spread. 
They do return 56% of their production. However, they lost a lot of key contributors on defense, including Reed Blankenship and Gregory Gatt. Um, I think that was his name. Um, so that's going to be <laughs> tough. Their projected 2022 SP plus negative 10 and a half. Their win over under is set at five. And just some quick stats from last season. They scored just 3.38 points per drive and only scored, had a scoring margin of plus four, converted on 31% of their third downs, 48% of their fourth downs, both under nation average. Pretty good stuff. Reed Blankenship lost a big one. They used to call him a blanket around, uh, around Middle Tennessee. Not sure if that's true, but <laughs> Chase Cunningham know. will be getting the start. Anything else you want to add for our preview? I think Middle Tennessee is a solid team, right? Kind of middle of the pack. It should be a, a competitive game with a spread right around six points right now. I think the home crowd is going to be a huge deal with a sold-out Bridgeforce Stadium. Really interested to see how the student section does in terms of attendance throughout the game. I know we've talked about that in the past. So looking forward to that. I think the energy level early is going to be big and kind of depends uh, early on how, Jamie you can settle in. Can the players lock in and focus? Because there's obviously a lot of energy about the move to the FBS. And hopefully... They can sort of push that aside and just play football and get things going pretty early. Yep. And we talked with Sam. They led the nation in takeaways last mm -hmm. year, averaging two takeaways a game. They really focus on that. So if JMU, it's going to be really key for JMU to keep the ball in their own hands, not turn it over because Middle Tennessee, um, they aren't a great offense, but they will make you pay for short fields and for takeaways. Score prediction hit me. 31-24 JMU. I think it's a competitive game. I'll have it going just under the total. Okay. And JMU barely covers the spread. I've had a lot of time to think about this. JMU wins 45-42. The over hits. Um, I don't think we will see any defense played in this game. Bold. Love it. That's our three-notch preview. Uh, we'll be hitting you every single week with our three-notch brewing preview, breaking down the game in a quick snippet. Um, of course, the entire podcast is a game breakdown, so we just try and put it into a quick little thing. The article will be coming out tomorrow, our three-notch preview, essentially, you know, maybe going a little bit deeper. Uh, head coach, key leaders in terms of passing, rushing, all of that. Um, and, yeah. Forgot where I was going with that, but perfect. Perfect. Can we talk men's basketball for a short hit period of time? Me, hit me. I like how you asked that so politely. Can we please talk about this terrible non-conference schedule? I'll start. I'll start with women's basketball, which I thought released a better schedule that includes hosting North Carolina and Liberty. They play at VCU. There's a game at Longwood. They host Queens, which I know had you thrilled. I believe Queens' women's basketball coach is a JMU alum, too, is a JMU oh. women's basketball alum. There you go. And they also play at William & Mary, which when I initially saw the schedule, I was like, oh, yes, makes sense, but they're not in the CA anymore. So cool to keep that little sort of in-state matchup alive. The men's schedule, though, Jack, the men's basketball non-conference schedule sucks. Um, like, excuse me? There's no please way to not, sugarcoat this. Please do not talk about gala debt like that. I'm just going to run through it really quick. They open the season at 4.30 on a Monday. So you know it's legit. You know this is a big game. With Valley Forge. For all of the podcast <laughs> listeners, and by every, all the podcast listeners, I mean everyone who's listening, Bennett's face 
is indescribable. <laughs> who, who is Valley Forge? Then they play Hampton, fine. They play at Buffalo, at Howard, at North Carolina. Then they have the Savannah Invitational, um, which is like around Thanksgiving where they play some reasonable mid-majors, fine, whatever. They go to Eastern no, Kentucky. No, the Savannah Invitational is abysmal. It's not that bad. It is terrible. No, it's not. It is horrible. I don't think it's that bad, but okay. Have you looked at what this, who the Savannah Invitational is? Do you have them up? Let me pull it up for okay, you. Okay, I'll keep quick. going. After that, they play Eastern Kentucky at home because they had that away game last year where Chuck Falden hit the little putback and they won. A little home and home with them. Then they go to Virginia. They host Gallaudet, I guess. Then they host Long Island and then play at Coppin State, which is also kind of a joke. And that's their entire non-conference schedule, which is just, okay, go ahead. Hit me with the, uh, what is it? The Savannah Invitational Field. Do you know who's in this? No, I don't remember. South Alabama, Valparaiso, Nichols, South Dakota State, JMU, Evansville, Mercer, Towson, Fairfield, and Robert Morris. All right, that kind of sucks out of, outside of South Dakota State. <laughs> Not very exciting. It sucks. That's, that's pretty average. Here's the home schedule. For non-conference, Valley Forge, Hampton, Eastern Kentucky, Gallaudet, Long Island. The only two weekend games are Gallaudet and Long Island. Eastern Kentucky is a Friday, Hampton is a Wednesday, and Valley Forge is like a Monday late afternoon. So that, don't walk, run to get your season tickets now. I heard some people that are like, oh, well, they play at Virginia and at North Carolina. It's like, realistically... Those aren't going well this year. <laughs> like North Carolina is coming off a, a final four appearance. They almost won the national title and they're playing at North Carolina. There's expected to be a top five team. Virginia like added transfers and returned like all their key players and got rid of the guys on the bench who had like forced them out via transfer. So they're a top 25 caliber team in Charlottesville. They're probably losing both of those games by double digits. Like probably the only good thing that comes out of this non-conference schedule is the there's only one the one storyline of Terrell Strickland's dad coming to town to coach who does he coach Long Island okay so I guess that's but that's not even like a good storyline like right it's cool for in like a regular seconds. year that's like the fifth best storyline it's just like and then why are they going to Coppin State <laughs> who agreed to that that didn't make any sense to me. But, like, we got to – can we knock it off with the non-D1s? Valley Forge – sorry, I'm hitting my mic. Valley Forge in Gallaudet or whatever they are. Why in the world are they – that's a scrimmage. You're playing a scrimmage, and you're claiming to count it. It doesn't count in any of the analytical systems because they don't count that nonsense. Like, Ken Palm is not regarding that as, like, a thing that goes into its system, really. I don't think the net does. I Like, there's well, no – Do you know what Gallaudet is, too? Is it D3? It's a private school for deaf and hard of hearing students. That's kind of cool. That makes me like it a little more. But it's like maybe scrimmage them because it's D3, right? They're AFCA Division Three. Yeah, I don't know what that even means. And like, I don't know what is Valley Forge NCAA? is. No, that's, how, do you, think... how do you open the season with Valley Forge? How do you play Gallaudet? Which is like, I don't know, maybe the experience is more for the opponent or whatever, which is kind of why, like, I don't understand why they don't just, like, scrimmage, what is it, Eastern Mennonite or Bridgewater? If if we're going to play so many D3 schools. At least be local. Do is EMU it, and Bridgewater. 
uh, Gallaudet's in DC. Okay, so I guess it's somewhat. It's the own the world's only university designed for the deaf and hard of hearing. Okay, well that's actually cool. Now I like that. I don't like playing them because I don't think it makes sense for like where the program is going. It's, yeah, exactly. It's cooler than I originally thought. But like Valley Forge, does Valley Forge have a a cool story? Probably not. doesn't um it's a it's a religious school. christian university in phoenixville <laughs> first and question is forge d1 school and the answer is like nope i'm trying to figure out university of valley forge patriots they're in the colonial states athletic conference i believe <laughs> i've never heard of that I just, I don't know. It just drove me crazy. It's like it's the home schedule. Three. The home schedule sucks. And I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know if it's because like last year they had all the great home games and like you can only do that so often and it'll end up becoming a nice cycle. But like, why aren't they playing George Mason anywhere? Why aren't they playing BCU anywhere? Why aren't they playing William and Mary anywhere? Why aren't they playing ODU anywhere? Oh, wait, well, they play ODU because they're in the. I, my fault, my fault, my fault, my fault. That's on me. Twice. <laughs> That's on me. I'm so sorry about that. I was just getting on my high horse. Oopsies. But even like, like I know people get and they cringe, but like I'd rather play Liberty. I'd rather play, yes, Liberty, Murray Anyone. State, Middle Tennessee, yes, Charlotte. Charlotte would be cool. Like any of those like CUSA teams. I, I don't think they should ever have two non-D1s on the schedule. I think that's stupid. But it's also like you're trying to – I would think they were trying to build some interest in, like, the basketball program. And when you hit them with, like, hey, come to our home game, students. We got a big one. <laughs> I mean, I guess they're probably on break for some of this, but it's like you got a big one against Long Island. Or, like, oh, hey, you're in between, you know, the – Tiny little time where you're taking exams between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Good news. We host Eastern Kentucky on Friday. They also which I know nearly a month without a home game. Yeah. And it's like you go from Hampton, a month of nothing, and then Eastern Kentucky. It's like, what are you doing? And the only first way- night, first night you're playing, it's first night you're playing Valley Forge and you're not even playing at night. I think they gave the women's team the like good time slot because I think it's a double header. It is, and they're playing Maine. So it's like, honestly, just show up at seven and watch them play Maine. Like, <laughs> waste your time to watch Mendocine play Valley Forge. You got to love it, man. I'm just frustrated by it. It's like, I mean, yeah. make it happen. Make something happen. Well, I think that's a great way to finish out this podcast. Yeah. Anything else you have to add? No, you can subscribe to us on Patreon. We'll have position previews, I believe, on there via video and a little writing. We'll have that up tomorrow or Friday. So a lot of great stuff coming down the pike on our Patreon. If you need to find the link for that, it's on our Twitter. And you can also just go patreon.com slash News. It's all there. It's going to get more and more content as we head on through the season. You don't want to miss it. Exclusive Zooms with all patrons talking all things JMU Sports, exclusive video and article content, including the potential return of the roundtable. Um, film breakdowns, everything like that coming down the pike. And the newsletter is back, folks. If you want to subscribe mm-hmm. to the newsletter, head to www.jmusportsnews.com. 
click the newsletter tab and you can sign up there 100% free. Bennett and or I will be writing it every Tuesday night and it should be sitting in your inbox Wednesday mornings. You don't want to miss out on that. Subscribe and be the, the, the smartest JMU fan in your group of JMU fans. And shout out to both my father and Mike Davis, our two initial patrons. <laughs> yeah, honestly. Shout out to them. Maybe they'll get their own specialty stuff. But for Bennett Conlin, we'll add in applause here. My name is Jack Fitzpatrick. This has been the JMU Sports News Podcast presented by Three Notch Brewing and Bet Online. Until next week, see ya. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube you know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks that's what our podcast people are the worst brings you with each episode i'm rachel And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.